children and welcome again to avant-garde book story time i'm sheree hardy and i love reading to you thank you thank you thank you for listening today i'm going to do part two of the book voice of freedom fanny lou hamer spirit of the civil rights movement this book was written by carol boston weatherford and illustrated by a cool homes if you have it you know what to do just follow along but if you don't it's okay get in a very comfortable place and just get relaxed and listen to part two of voice of freedom fanny lou hamer spirit of the civil rights movement injustice the federal government filed charges against the winona police I testified at the trial, but the all-white jury sided with the police. The beating left me more than just bruises and bad memories. A blood clot weakened my eyesight. My kidneys were damaged, and my limp got worse. But I was determined I was marching toward the promised land. Running. Not even a bad leg could stop me from standing up for what I believed in. Hard as we have to work for nothing. There must be some way we can change things. There must be something else. There was, becoming a lawmaker myself. The next year I ran for Congress in the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Death threats started to come at me soon as I announced I was running. But I didn't scare easily. I meant to prove that anyone, black or white, rich or poor, could get involved in American politics. I cast my first vote for myself. Freedom Summer. Later that year, I shared stories and songs with student volunteers about what it was like for black folks in the Delta. After the training, the students set off on a campaign called Freedom Summer. Some of them be running freedom of schools, teaching, reading, and the right to vote. The Ku Klux Klan killed some of them students. I knew Michael Schwerner and James Cheney real well. They were murdered along with Andrew Goodman for nosing into church firebombs. If I had known that those men would wind up dead, I would have told them to stay home. I cried like I lost my own sons. I could take losing the election, but not this. Still, I had to go home. At a government hearing in Washington, D.C., I spoke about my struggles and how we started a new political party in Mississippi because the regular Democrats locked us out. We weren't going to be locked out no more. 1964 Democratic National Convention, Atlantic City, New Jersey. I was vice chairman of the new Mississippi Democratic Freedom Party. That August, we sent a delegation to the Democratic Party's National Convention. We went to make a case that the regular Democrats from Mississippi was unlawful because they did not represent black people. We went to demand a seat at the table, a voice in our democracy. But we had not bargained on dirty deals dreamed up to shut us down. President Lyndon Johnson called a press conference just to get the cameras off me. When I spoke before the Credentials Committee, he, his trick backfired. The TV networks taped me and ran my statement during prime time when the most people was watching. If the, Democratic, if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I said, I question America. 
Is this America the land of the free and the home of the brave? We stole the president's thunder, and our support swelled like a storm cloud. Johnson was scared we could cost him Southern support and the nomination. He sent Hubert Humphrey, a pro-civil rights senator from Minnesota, who wanted to be on the ticket as vice president. Johnson ordered Humphrey to stop us. Humphrey met with me, Dr. King, and our party's lawyer. The lawyer told us we should give in to Humphrey if Humphrey elected. After I said that our cause was larger than one man, they didn't let me come to no more meetings. They struck a deal without me. We would get two at-large delegates. The rest of us would be honored guests and just sit and watch, not vote. We had not come 900 miles for two seats. I threatened to slit our chairman's throat if he took the deal. He turned it down. At least state delegations could no longer get away with barring blacks, barring blacks. Africa. I can't believe how far fame took me all the way to Guinea with singer Harry Belafonte. When I piled on the flight from Ghana with Blythe, I knew I was in for an awakening. What little we had read about Africa was just wild. At the time, Guinea had just got independence from France. I was so proud that black people was running the government. I had never even seen black people running banks. I was sort of sad that I was treated better in Guinea than in my own country. I cried when I saw boiled green peanuts like we eat in Mississippi, and when I heard the same tunes that my grandmother had sung only with different words. So many things reminded me of home. My ancestors spoke to me. I wondered, could some folks I met be distant kin? I was angry that slavery cut the ties. Washington. Back home, I ran for Congress again as a freedom Democrat, not to win the election, but to prove that the election needed to be thrown out and that the white congressmen should not be seated. Why? Because I had been barred from the regular Democratic ticket, and the state had blocked so many blacks from voting. Annie Devine, Victoria Adams, and I took that fight to Congress. We won more support than expected, but not as much as we needed. Annie, Victoria, and I was right there when the decision was read. We were the first black women over to seat in Congress on the House floor, but the history making didn't go to my head. And in 1965, I went back to my grassroots work, suing Sunflower County for blocking black voter registration and marching with Dr. King in Alabama and Mississippi. We registered thousands of new black voters in spite of police beating so bad that Congress was shamed into passing the Voter Rights Act. Black Power. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, James Brown. Black power had become the battle cry of the movement. For me, that meant pride and equal rights. But for Stokely Carmichael and the new head of SNCC, it meant fighting if need be. And it meant having an all-black staff. Hurt my heart to lose Bob Zellner and the other white workers so committed for so long. How could I hate? I mourned whites who died for freedom. I have lived long enough to know that no race has a corner on decency. 
I feel sorry for anybody that could let hate wrap them up. Ain't no such thing as I can hate anybody and hope to see God's face. Out of one blood, God made all nations. America's Problem On my fundraising tour, I call racism America's Problem. Whatever you give, I told the crowd, is not only to free me in Mississippi, but it's also to free yourselves because no man is on an island. Races can be some kind of rats, though. In 1967, my daughter Dorothy took sick after her second child was born. I drove more than 90 miles all the way to Memphis, Tennessee to find a hospital that would treat blacks. Then right outside the hospital main entrance, my Dorothy passed away in my arms. Gone. Just like that, cause she's sick and couldn't get enough to eat. Now me and Pap got grandbabies to raise. I prayed that future would be brighter. In 1967, Robert Clark, a free Democrat, cracked the door to the state house. He was the first black person elected to the Mississippi legislature since Reconstruction, when slavery had just ended. In 1968, King and Bobby Kennedy, a senator running for president, were both killed. Those were dark days. No rest. Summer of 1968, I sat at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago as part of the Loyalist delegation, what was formed to crush the Freedom Democrats. Still, I let my voice be heard for aid to farmers and against the war in Vietnam. I was weary as an old soldier, but I couldn't rest. No, I couldn't. Not as long as blacks was poor, schools were segregated, and black teachers were discriminated against. Not as long as laws be holding women back. One day an old white man told me he appreciated me doing what he was afraid to do. Ain't no telling how long he'd wanted change. He could not be free until I was free. I had always believed we served God by serving our fellow man. And no child should know what hunger is. So I started a freedom farm, a pig bank, and a Head Start program. And I helped folks living in shacks get old hold of government housing loans. I mined a lot of pots. I've given two cents to the women's liberation movement. I won a lawsuit against Sunflower County to integrate the public schools. And I lost a bid for state senate in 1971. The outcome was rigged against me, but 55 blacks was elected in Mississippi that year, a record for a southern state. And in 1976, the Congressional Black Caucus made up of black congresspeople giving me a lifelong service award. Maybe I had won after all. Author's note, Fannie Lou Hamer was known as the spirit or the voice of the civil rights movement. Perhaps she was both, with her powerful singing and passionate plain spoken oratory. The granddaughter of slaves and the youngest of 20 children born to sharecroppers in the Mississippi Delta, Hamer was an unlikely heroine. Born in 1917 in Montgomery County, Mississippi, she had polio as a child and started picking cotton at age six. Although she was a good student, she dropped out of school in the sixth grade to help her family in the field. In 
At home and in the field, she grew up listening to African-American spirituals. In 1944, Hamer married sharecropper Perry, Pap Hamer, and moved to the Marlowe Plantation. She was unable to have children after surgery that the state ordered for poor women, though Hamer and her husband adopted two daughters. At the Marlowe Place, Hamer cooked and cleaned in the owner's home. Because she had mathematical skills, she was also tapped to keep time, weigh the cotton, and pay the workers their share. Although the plantation owner rigged the scales to cheat the sharecroppers, Hamer strove to be fair, using her own scale when possible. In the Mississippi Delta, daily life was grueling and poverty so great that Hamer did not even realize voting was her right until young grassroots organizers mobilized her community. When she tried to register to vote, she not only failed the poll test, but also faced backlash from the plantation owner. He fired her and made her move off the plantation without her family. They eventually reunited in a house in town. By then, Hamer was working tirelessly for racial equality. In 1963, after demanding service at a whites-only cafe, she was jailed and brutally beaten in Winona, Mississippi. The injuries plagued her for the rest of her life. Still, she rose from a community activist to become a national spokesperson for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Hamer spoke at rallies and on college campuses, moving audiences with her booming voice and songful singing. On the front lines of the freedom struggle, she joined sit-ins, led voter education training, and marched with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. She helped form the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party and addressed the 1964 Democratic National Convention, exposing voter demonstration discrimination. Hamer ran three times for elective office. Beyond the civil rights movement, Hamer helped to start a Head Start preschool program and ran a farm project to produce, reduce hanger, hunger in her community. She also led the Cotton Pickers Resistance Movement and co-founded the National Women's Political Caucus. In 1969, Tougaloo College awarded Hamer an honorary doctorate degree, and in 1972, the Mississippi House of Representatives recognized her with a proclamation. She died in 1977. Today, a street, post office, youth center, and Memorial Park bear Hamer's name in her hometown of Ruleville, Mississippi. Wow, boys and girls, that was the end of Voice of Freedom, Fannie Lou Hamer, Spirit of the Civil Rights Movement, written by Carol Boston Weatherford and illustrated by Akua Holmes. I hope you enjoyed this history book, boys and girls. Have a great day. Continue studying. Goodbye.